Hello, I'm Derek Walker. I'm the pastor of the Oxford Bible Church, and we're taking a series through the book of Revelation. And so far we've seen that it gives us future history in chronological order. I like to take it literally. Revelation 1.19, John was told, write first the things that you've seen, that's the vision of Christ in chapter 1, and then the things which are now, that is the revelation of the course of the church age that was given in chapters 2 and 3 in the seven letters to the seven churches and then he's told thirdly to say to write down the things which will take place after this that is after the church age and, and that's the tribulation in chapters 4 to 18 the second coming of Christ in chapter 19 the millennium in chapter 20 and the eternal state in chapters 21 and 22 and, and so the transition to the, the final phase, which is the things that take place after this, that actually happens in Revelation 4 verse 1. Because John saw an open door into heaven and a, and a voice like a trumpet calling him, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. And so that exactly corresponds to the final thing. What will take place after the church age? Starts in chapter 4. And John isn't just transported into heaven, but into the future, uh, to the start of the day of the Lord, of the tribulation. And in chapters 4 and 5, he sees the church now in heaven, glorified, represented by the 24 elders, and they sing of how the Lamb has redeemed them by his blood from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And he watches the dramatic scene uh, where the scroll with seven seals is brought forth. And the question is asked, who's worthy to open this scroll? And we saw that this scroll is the title deed of the earth. And it contains the legal proof that Jesus has redeemed it. He's purchased the earth and all its inhabitants with his blood. And therefore he and he alone has the right to return and take possession of the earth and judge and evict his enemies from it. And that's why all heaven replies, there is one and only one who's worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And that's the Redeemer, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God and the Lion of Judah. And when a Redeemer would return to claim the land he'd purchased, especially after a long delay, his right might be contested by those who are occupying it. And so his first act um, to do, to take action, is to bring forth the sealed book to prove his right of ownership, the sealed title deed. And then once he's proved his right to own it, he can then conquer it if they resist him. You see, in those days, there were two copies of any title deed. One was an open copy that anyone could look at, uh, but one would be sealed, which couldn't be tampered with so that if there was any contest, the sealed copy could be brought forth as proof. And so he'd bring forth the sealed profit, uh, book break the seals, read its contents, and that thus prove his right to possess the land. And then he could take all necessary action to take possession of the land and evict those who resist him. And that's exactly what Christ is, is doing there in chapters 5 and 6. Uh, in chapter 5 we read, I looked and behold in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as though it had been slain having seven horns, that means he has all authority, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. That's, he has all power. Then he came, 
Christ came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now notice Jesus now is no longer sitting at the Father's right hand, but now he stood up. And the significance of this is seen in Psalm 110 that says, The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, Sit at my right hand, sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies your footstool. At this point of time, um, his time of sitting is over where he is waiting for his enemies to become his footstool. Now it is the time that he's standing up, which means it's the time for him to exercise his power, subdue his enemies under his feet, and make them his footstool. And that's what he starts to do in the tribulation. Then in Revelation chapter 6, we saw that he breaks open the six seals rapidly, one after the other. And this establishes his authority over the six major realms of the world system, the political, international, financial realms, the realm of man's ex physical existence, the moral realm, and the realm of nature. And the way he judges each of these realms is by withdrawing his hand of mercy and grace that restrains the darkness and the evil and the chaos, like a landlord. Um, evicting e evil tenants. The first thing he does is pull the plug, turn off the electricity, turn off the gas and so on. And so as each of these six seals is broken, uh, a vision is given that reveals that particular realm plunging into chaos. And these six seals uh, we showed perfectly uh, corresponds to the birth pains that Jesus said would suddenly break out at the start of the day of the Lord tribulation. Just like birth pains, these six seals um, will start suddenly and they will continue and intensify throughout the tribulation until the climax at the second coming of Christ. The birth pains climax with the birth of the beautiful baby. And that baby is the, the kingdom of God coming through, being manifested in the earth at the second coming of Christ. And Jesus even called that new time the regeneration in Matthew 19, 28. The seventh seal, that's the first six seals, but the seventh seal is not opened until Revelation 8 because there's a delay before it's opened which is revealed in Revelation 7 and that's what we're going to look at today. One reason for this delay is that the seventh seal is an escalation in judgment because the seventh seal releases the seven trumpets and these are direct judgments of God, bombardments from heaven upon the earth, rather than, as we saw in the first six seals, God withdrawing his hand of restraint, of grace. The seven trumpets follow one another in sequence, each increasing in intensity from the last until the seventh trumpet completes the judgments of the tribulation. Within the seven trumpets, within the seventh trumpet, is the seven bowls of wrath. Uh, which take us right up to the second coming of Christ. And so we can see that the structure, the, the sequencing, the chronology of the book of Revelation is largely governed by the seven seals, the seven trumpets, and the seven bowls of wrath. All in that sequencing, in that order. So now we come to Revelation 7. In Revelation 6, the birth pains of the tribulation were initiated right at its start by Christ breaking the six seals, one after the other. Now there's a delay, I think probably of a few months, before the seventh seal is opened in Revelation 8.1. And that seventh seal, as we said, 
it releases the seven trumpets. And Revelation 7 it describes what happens during that time and explains why there's an interlude and it contains some very important information. Let's read. After these things, that's after the six seals of Revelation 6, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, on the sea or any tree. I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was granted to harm the earth and the sea. Now here we see four angels, and they are the four angels assigned to blow the first four trumpets. They will be released to blow their trumpets when the seventh seal is broken in Revelation 8. The first four trumpets will bring great devastation on the earth, on the sea and on the trees, on the vegetation. Therefore, the angel says to these four angels, Do not harm the earth, the sea or the trees, until we have sealed the servants of our God on their forehead. The angels, you see, are forbidden to blow their trumpets, which will destroy the earth, sea and vegetation, until God's special servants have been sealed. And so, you see, this indicates there will be a time delay before the seventh seal is opened, and these trumpets and the trumpet judgments are released. And in this time, God prepares and he anoints and he seals these servants for their special mission in the tribulation. And since God has such an important mission for this special group of his servants, he holds the judgments back until he has sealed them, until he's anointed them, until he has ensured their protection during that time. And so the, the, the sealing represents God's protection over these men and their anointing as evangelists. And there is 144,000 of them that must be sealed uh, from and protected from these judgments so that they can fulfill their ministry um, in the first half of the tribulation. They're identified in verses 4 to 8 as 144,000 Israelites who spearhead the evangelism in the tribulation. Um, let's read that. As I, and I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 of the tribes of the children of Israel were sealed. Of the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. Of the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, 12,000. Asher, 12,000. Naphtali, 12,000. Manasseh, 12,000. Simeon, 12,000. Levi, 12,000. Issachar, 12,000. Zebulun, 12,000. Joseph, 12,000. Benjamin, 12,000 were sealed. And it's interesting that God's use of the 144,000 Israelites shows that Israel will still exist in the tribulation and will again be God's anointed representatives. And this disproves replacement theology that arrogantly says that God's finished with Israel. And also, knowing man's perversity in trying to interpret this, the nature of this group as being anything other than what it plainly says, 144,000 Israelites, God confounds all other explanations by, by specifying the tribes, by saying there will be 12,000 for each of the 12 tribes, emphasizing this by listing these tribes by name. God couldn't be clearer in saying these are actually Israelites. The fact that they're identified by their Jewish identity, uh, their ethnicity, uh, rather than as being part of the church, 
is a confirmation that the church has now been raptured. And that now, in the tribulation, God has turned back to Israel as his anointed representatives. And so that's why in the tribulation, although saints are mentioned, there's no mention of the church as such, uh, because the church has been raptured. And so there's no mention of the church in chapters 12 to 18. And so we see that these are now Israelites, they, if, they, if the church was still there, in the church there is no distinction between Jew and Greek and so forth. Well, soon after the rapture, these 144,000 get quickly saved. And as they realize, the New Testament is true. Many of them will be like the Apostle Paul. Um, you know, Orthodox Jews who know the Bible well, and then they quickly become powerful for God when they receive Jesus as the Messiah. And the 144,000, they're going to spearhead the evangelism in the tribulation. And, th and that's going to result in multitudes getting saved. Because immediately after we're told about these 144,000, John has a vision, which is the rest of chapter 7, um, where we see the fruit of their ministry in a great harvest of souls from every nation. Let's read that. Verse 9. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could number, of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne, and the elders, and the four living creatures, and fell on their faces before the throne, and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving, honour, power and might, be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. This great multitude are the souls from every nation who are saved in the tribulation through the preaching of the gospel, spearheaded by the 144,000. And uh, they are saved particularly in the first half of the tribulation. They're described as, in verse 14, the ones who come out of the great tribulation and wash their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And so you see, many believers will be martyred in the great tribulation. That's the second half of the seven years of the tribulation. Because that's when the mark of the beast comes in. And these will... Because they're believers, they will refuse to take the mark of the beast. And so many will be martyred, and, and now we see them in heaven. So this vision is an encouragement to those martyrs that when they die, they will go straight into the presence of God. And it's an encouragement for us today that when we die, we go straight into the presence of God, standing before the throne of God, praising God the Father and the Lamb of God for their salvation. And so as we read on, we see, Then one of the elders answered, saying to me, Who are these arrayed in white robes, and where did they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you know. So he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation, and washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God, and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will dwell among them, and they will neither hunger nor thirst any more. The sun will not strike them, nor any heat, for the Lamb, who is in the midst of the throne, will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a wonderful encouragement. Uh, to all those who die in the Lord, whether in the church age now or in the tribulation, that they're going to go straight into the presence of God in heaven. So having been faithful to God in suffering, 
they now enjoy the blessings of heaven, the presence of God, perfect provision, no more tears. Hallelujah. Well, Revelation 7 reveals that in the midst of all the judgments of the tribulation, one of God's main purposes for this time is a final great soul harvest from the earth, and, and that he will be successful in that. He will give mankind a final chance to be saved. And this requires those who will preach the gospel. The reason why, of course, a new group of witnesses have to be raised up at this time is that the church has just been raptured. And so it's imperative that God raises up a new group of evangelists who are going to be empowered and protected to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. They'll get quickly saved after the rapture. They'll probably have heard the gospel before the rapture, but not accepted Jesus as Messiah. And then, of course, when the rapture happens and a billion believers, Christians, disappear, suddenly, just as the New Testament predicted, this will be a massive sign and a witness to them, and many, many people will turn to Christ. And in this case, there's 144,000 Israelites who are chosen, and we'll actually see them described in more detail when we get to Revelation 14. They're like the Apostle Paul. They, know, they knew the Scriptures well, but they didn't know Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. And so when their eyes are open to see Jesus as Lord, they quickly come into a deep understanding of the Gospel. And they are ready to preach the Gospel with boldness, just like Paul. Just imagine 144,000 Apostle Pauls. And we're going to see also in Revelation 11, the two witnesses are going to start their ministry at exactly the same time. And so reinforce the testimony of the 144,000. As we said, the fact that the 144,000 are chosen on an ethnic basis proves that the rapture has happened, the church age is over, because in the church age there's no differentiation of Jew and Gentile. Also, the fact that they're all Israelite is consistent with the fact is revealed elsewhere in the scripture that once the church age is over, God will turn back to Israel as his anointed representative in the earth. For instance, Romans 11 says, blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And that's the, the rapture. And so all Israel will then be saved. And so although Gentiles also will continue to be saved in the tribulation, as it were, the anointing is, is come back on Israel. And the, by the end of that tribulation, all Israel will be saved. Praise God. You know, in every period of time, God wants to save as many people as possible. And he provides a witness and an opportunity for them. Uh, and, and so this chapter, Revelation 7, it reveals the witnesses God has chosen to spearhead evangelism in the tribulation. And the fact that God actually coordinates his judgments, he delays, remember, his judgments with the anointing and the ministry of these 144,000, it actually shows that even while he is moving to judge and take possession of the earth, he's doing it in such a way as to save as many people as possible. That's why he spreads the judgments over seven years, causing them to to intensify and escalate to a climax, rather than just ending it all in one go, because he had had the power to do that. But in that case, there would be no harvest of souls, no salvation. And so Revelation 7 is very important, because it reveals God's salvation program for the tribulation. So, Revelation 6 describes the six seals being suddenly opened, 
in heaven at the start of the tribulation. Then Revelation 7 describes God preparing and launching his evangelistic program, outreach for this time. That agrees perfectly with Jesus' description in his Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, verse 14 to, 7 to 14, where Jesus described the tribulation as being characterized by a sudden onset of birth pains in every area of life on earth. And those correspond to the six seals. And then after that, he said in verse 14, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all nations as a witness to all nations, and then the end, the second coming, will come. And that's Revelation 7. So we have a perfect agreement there. The gospel of the kingdom that will be preached at this time is that the kingdom of God is at hand. For Christ is about to return and establish his kingdom on earth, and you need to repent and believe and then you'll be saved and you'll be part of that kingdom. This verse, Matthew 24, 14, is so important that the gospel will be preached in all nations and then the end will come. Now, in Matthew, that applies to the tribulation, but in Mark, there's a similar verse that applies to the church age. But notice what that tells us. It tells us that God's purpose in this age and in the tribulation is the salvation of souls. It's not our job to take over the world because G only Jesus can do that and he will do that at his second coming. Our job is the salvation of souls through the preaching of the gospel. So our first uh, commandment really is to know the gospel and to share the gospel with people and, and teach them to be disciples of Christ. It says that once the gospel has been preached to God's satisfaction, then the end will come. So that tells us that, that God's purpose for this age is the preaching of the gospel and the saving of souls. And even the same is true in the tribulation. The only difference is that there is an, a, an increasing intensification of divine judgments happening because God is wrapping everything up and God is forcing people to make their decision. Jesus said, I come actually not to bring peace but to bring a sword in other words he wants people off the fence he wants you to make your decision for christ or against him that's what the gospel does it forces itself on men's attention so they must make a decision and in the tribulation how much more so because of the judgments pointing to the fact that the end is about to happen god is forcing people to decide for or against him and 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 in that midst of judgment, therefore, the gospel is being preached. And so now we've seen that the evangelists, the 144,000, they're not the only ones who will preach the gospel, but they will spearhead it. And through their ministry, many will be saved and they will share the gospels. And so that now that these 144,000 are sealed to preach the gospel under divine protection, it's time for the seventh seal to be opened and for the seven angels to be released to blow their trumpets and that's what happens in Revelation 8. In Revelation 7 3 these angels were told not to blow until the 144,000 were sealed. So now that they are sealed the time has come as we read in Revelation 8 1 and 2. It says when he opened the seventh seal there was silence in heaven for about half an hour now this speaks of an ominous anticipation of an escalation in judgment. And then it says, And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. 
And so here we see that as soon as the seventh seal is opened, we have the seven angels with their seven trumpets. So see how it works. There's seven seals, the first six and then the seventh is a bit special because the seventh seal contains the seven trumpets. In the same way, the seven trumpets escalate and then the seventh trumpet is the biggest one and it contains the seven bowls of wrath. That's how the whole thing is structured. And so, again, Revelation 8 says, when the seventh seal is opened, we see the seven trumpets and now they are ready to blow their trumpets, one after the other. And uh, this proves again that the seventh seal contains the seven trumpet judgments. Next time, we're going to see what event on earth triggers this escalation in judgment. And we will also see the seven trumpets in action. You see, in the book of Revelation, heaven and earth is connected. When judgments are made in heaven, they're manifested in the earth. But also, when events happen in earth, especially events against God, that causes a judgment in response. And so if God is escalating the judgment here in the seventh seal, there must be an event on earth, a major event on earth, that, that as it were, causes that response from heaven. And we're going to see what that is next time. I'd like to introduce you to two of my books that will lead you into a deep understanding of God's Word. The Panorama of Prophecy is my big book on end-time prophecy. It gives all the, the prophecies of the Bible and it will take you step by step into exploring this exciting part of God's Word. And also, The Keys of Time is the Bible chronology that describes the Bible from beginning to end. And it, in its perfect timing, showing the sovereignty of God. You can get these books from www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by phoning us at 01865 515086. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then you're my disciples indeed and you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And our vision is to spread the in-depth teaching of the word of God to the ends of the earth, but we need your help. And on our website, oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk, you, you can find the, a way you can help us financially, and we would be so grateful. Well, I trust you've been enjoying our series on the book of Revelation. And I just wanted to make you aware that I've also taught all the way through the book of Revelation as a CD series. And here we have three CD boxes with seven or eight CDs in each of them and it takes you all the way through the book of Revelation. So if you want some further study on that, this wonderful book, I recommend these CDs. Each, each CD box is 20 pounds, but if you get them all together, you can get a discount, all three of them, for, uh, for 50 pounds or 20 pounds each. Thank you for watching. You can watch more of our teachings on our Oxford Bible Church Roku channel and Derek Walker YouTube channel. You're most welcome to join us at our church services which are every Sunday at 11am and 6pm at Cheney School, Headington, Oxford, OX3 7QH. You can order CDs, DVDs, books and other great products from our online shop at www.oxfordbiblechurch.co.uk or by calling 01865 515 086.